You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Father, thank you for the wonderful moments we've had already as a body, as a family, as the bride of Jesus Christ. Moments in the gospel, moments filled, I pray, with the truths of the gospel, moments in such gratitude for the love of our God upon us. May that only continue. Spirit of God, Holy God, the power of God, run through this place and encourage your people in the midst of all the different situations. Lord, you know every single one. We turn now to your word, I pray again, with expectant hearts in such unusual passages at times, Lord, and yet eager to hear from you as it applies to our lives. So, Father, hallowed be your name. And indeed, your will be done, Lord. You will be done as it pertains to your kingdom and your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, what a great service thus far. So glad to be a part of it. The grace of God upon us. Just before we get into our message, um, and you can turn to Luke chapter 16, by the way. That's where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 16, just a couple of uh, quick announcements. I always like to take a little bit of my turn on some of these. Um, This Easter book we've promoted for a few years now. It's in the bookstore. It's available. Can't recommend it highly enough. A compilation of sermons pertaining to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the bookstore. Uh, Not very expensive. Edited by Nancy Guthrie, by the way. Nancy Guthrie is coming to a conference for our women uh, in late May. So just to know, so so glad to have her come. And she's the one who put this all together. Uh, The second thing was also mentioned, the Paul trip. When suffering enters your door, um, April 24th and 25th. Now here's what we know. All of us are either suffering, have suffered, or will suffer. All of us. In our own way, it's relative But all of us, I personally know how much pain, heartache, um, suffering is going on within our church body. It's just the way life goes. Paul Tripp knows what suffering is about too. Remember, he's gone through probably the hardest period of his life ever. And he's being brought to our church to to speak on a topic that, again, is as close to his heart probably as anything has been in a very, very long time. And that's a formula for a very, very powerful weekend with Paul Tripp. That's a formula for God to move and to change lives in ways that we pray have, have not happened before. Um, that's a weekend to uh, book off and to say, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. I'm going to bring my wife, going to bring my husband, going to bring whatever. Friends are going to bring neighbors. I'm going to bring people who I know need to hear a word from God as it pertains to suffering. All right? So that's great. Everything's coming so fast now. Easter is four weeks this weekend. Is that right? crazy, okay? And uh, Paul Tribble will be here then, I think, in seven weeks or something like that. So anyways, it's all coming so fast, and uh, we're glad, though, that it's getting warmer this week, aren't we? Amen. Amen. The snow should be melting. Yes, that's very, very exciting for us poor Canadians. All right, Luke chapter 16 is where we are, and today is a story. Today's a story of heaven and hell. Today's a story of heaven and hell. I saw some of your heads turn up even as I said those two words because if I didn't have your attention before, I probably do now, and I understand why I do as well. Uh, there are many who hold a fascination with the afterlife. There are many who are asking so many questions about the afterlife and more questions really that can be answered. But on the other side, there are lots of people, sadly, within this world who don't think about the afterlife enough if they think about it at all. 
I argue today from today's text that we should be thinking about the afterlife a lot. Uh, The very question of what happens when we die is one of the most important questions we will ever have to answer. When I'm engaging in conversations regarding my faith with people who don't know Jesus Christ, I will often ask them as a way and just try to get to the point where I say, what do you think happens when you die? Uh, What do you think happens uh, when you die? It's a fascinating opportunity to force someone to state their religion. You force the person to express what they believe about life and what they believe about life after death because we know this, everyone believes something. Everyone believes something. Atheism still holds to a strong belief in the afterlife. They just concluded there isn't one. And as I think Norm Geiser said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. To look around and see all that we've seen to conclude there's nothing after. But, but what they're saying is they still have to articulate why they believe there isn't anything within the afterlife. Because that isn't a belief in and of itself. But as I listen to people talk about what they believe happens when people die. It's a fascinating experiment because it forces some form of faith and thought. And they ultimately Everyone has to give this answer. What's the purpose of my life and what's the purpose of life itself? Everyone has to answer that question in some form and at some time. And the wise people do seek to answer it as opposed to just pushing it off to the side and pretending there's no such thing as death even coming and you can make up all the answers you want. But in the end, you and I will be faced with reality again the moment our lives cease to be here on this earth. The point of today's message, which again is a very, I mean, as you go through these passages in Luke, these stories in Luke, these parables in Luke, it's amazing the differences and the unique things that we get to tackle today. But the main point of today's message is this, who I am in life will determine who I am in death. Who I am in life will ultimately determine who I am in death. Jesus explains today there are really two kinds of people in life. There are people who live by faith. There are people who live by sight. There are people who love Christ. There are people who love self. Really only two kinds of people in this life. It's amazing. In all of eternity, There are people who live for love in Christ. There are people who live for the things of the world. Jesus explains to us today, there are really only two kinds of people in life. There are people going to heaven, and there are people going to hell. There are really only two kinds of people within this life, and that's what Jesus wants us to see in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Look at it with me, please. Who I am in life will determine who I am in death. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So live in the text. Try to imagine this situation happening. Try to imagine the rich man. Try to imagine Lazarus. Let it become alive to you. Verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, 
He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, the rich man speaking, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they might also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now this passage is really broken down into the following categories. And if you'll notice with me, notice we see two lives, we see two deaths, and we see two eternities. Now, I'd be cheating you, too, if I didn't inform you that this story does carry themes still of stewardship. It's coming off of Luke chapter 16, of course, in the midst of Luke chapter 16. And really what we're seeing here is depending on how you steward your life will depend on how you steward your death. That's also a very clear theme through this. If you look at verse 14 of Luke 16, notice this. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money. Again, this is why Jesus is telling these stories. This story today is really for them. He's trying to help them to see is who I am in life will determine who I am in death. So we have a few observations from this passage. Three, and the first one is this. And observation number one is uh, two different lives. Two very different lives are presented by Jesus here within this story. Look at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with it fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, it would be difficult to have a greater contrast in life than what we see here in these first couple of verses within the story. Notice specifically the rich man's life and notice the rich man's lifestyle. He was rich, but not just rich. We learn he is very rich. How do we know? Well, the Bible is going out of its way to tell us that he had purple clothing. Only purple clothing was worn for those who were wealthy, had abundance of riches to spend on such fine items. It also says he wore fine linen, detailing the the elegance of his undergarments at that. And it says he was sumptuously feasting as well. The NIV translate that is that he was living in luxury every day. So purple clothing, fine linen, and feasting sumptuously, the Bible's detailing to us the wealth and the extent of the lifestyle of this rich man, as the Bible calls him as well. If you look closely at verse 19 and you see What Jesus is saying here as he starts this story, Jesus is not just picturing a rich man. What Jesus is really doing, he's detailing a filthy rich man. He's detailing a man who lived for his riches. A man who loved to strut his riches. 
a man who in the end really loved himself. We will further find out as we go through this story that this rich man apparently was oblivious to the poor beggar and we assumed crippled poor beggar that lay at his gate while dogs were licking this poor man's sores. He seemed to do nothing. He seemed to not care at all for this individual. He seemed to not take interest in the midst of his abundance. He did not help or love or care for this individual who could have used any and all mercies. This rich man, the Bible's telling us here, he had so much, but he cared so little. Why are we learning that? Because this is a sign of heart disease. Someone who has so much, but gives so little, is indicating ultimately the condition of their heart. Someone who truly loves the Lord. Someone who is truly filled with the Spirit of God. Someone who has been saved by grace and led by God's Spirit wants to be a person who exhibits grace, shares grace, and gives grace as well. Any individual who has been given everything in terms of the material riches of the world and can walk by a beggar at their gate day after day and cease to care, that's a very, very negative, strong sign of what isn't happening within his or her heart. Now, as we go through this story, though, I want to make sure this is very clear. Within this story, being rich is not the sin. Let me say that again. Being rich within this story is not the sin. The sin is the heart for self. The sin is placing all your worth and value upon that which is here and neglecting the care and the love and the things of eternity which are found in Jesus Christ. Conversely, make sure you see this. Being poor does not mean you're more righteous than someone else. Physically poor. It's the heart of Christ that makes us righteous not our ability to live in poverty. We say it again. Being rich is not the sin. Being poor doesn't make you righteous. It's the heart for Christ. The point is for those who are rich is not for those who are rich. The point is for those who love and worship money for those who love self. The point is for those who fail to recognize who I am in this life will determine who I am in death. But the text does introduce us to a poor man named Lazarus. The rich man is unnamed. The poor man is named, possibly indicating the intimacy of where he will stand with God through all of eternity as he becomes one of God's children himself. Again, we assume he is crippled because the text says he was laid at the gate. It's like someone had to bring him and put him down and lay him there. He could not do that on his own. Lazarus was a poor beggar because he was covered with sores. He was so desperate, the text says, he wanted to be fed with the scraps, the leftovers that fell from the rich man's table. He was in such poor condition that even dogs came and licked his sores. I mean, just stop long enough and imagine being so destitute in this life. I mean, just, just try to imagine being so destitute in this life that you are laying there to the point where unclean dogs are coming up and licking the sores, causing you for sure then to be declared ceremonially unclean yourself. Imagine how bad life would have to get to get to that point where you have that little when people around you seemingly have so much. 
So as great as the rich man's luxury is just as great as Lazarus' tragedy. See the contrast right there? This is what Jesus wants us to see for sure. Now this becomes a very important of the story here as well. You have a massive contrast of lives, but hear it, hear it again. The rich man is not condemned because he was rich. He was condemned because he lived for self in the neglect of others. And what this becomes is this rich man had no faith in God. And because he had no faith in God, he had no love in God. Because he had no love for God, he had no fruit for God then either. The Bible talks about this very clearly. 1 John three seventeen on the screen for us here right now. Look at this. It says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If anyone has the world's goods, and by the way, we all have the world's goods. Relatively speaking, across this world, all of us are rich, relatively speaking. And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. What does that say? I mean, John is saying here, how is it possible that the love of God truly resides within this person who sees a need, does not desire to meet that need, and heart actually closes, closes against that individual? It's a man we see within this story, a man who lived only for this life, and therefore he would end up suffering within this death. But what we will also see as well, there is a man who suffered in this life, but would be raised to glory in death. So once again, what Jesus is doing here, and we have to take notice of this, Jesus is circling the track again with this consistent truth. Matthew 16, I'll read it for you. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? It forfeits its soul. What does it matter if you have purple clothing and fine linen and you feast sumptuously every day? What does it matter if you gain the whole world and give up your soul? What does it matter? Or in Luke chapter 12, one of the parables that we studied just a few weeks ago, God says... To the guy building the bigger barns, fool, fool, this night your soul's required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Two different lives. And that verse from Luke 12 is a perfect segue into our next point, two different lives. And now we see this, two different deaths. Two different deaths. Look at verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So listen, listen. For all Lazarus' earthly misery at the moment of death, the text tells us he enters heavenly perfection and joy. Now, we have every reason to believe that Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom is the equivalent to heaven. Any Jew listening to Jesus tell this story, the concept of experiencing fellowship with Abraham would suggest to that Jew inexpressible bliss. But then there's the rich man. The text says he died and he was buried. I'll stop there for a second. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The body the rich man loved so much to care for. The body the rich man loved to dress in such fine clothing. The body the rich man loved to feed in this tremendous sumptuous feast. The body the rich man loved was now put in a box. The body he loved so much on this earth was now buried in the ground. And loved ones, this is where we must be wise, we must be wise, we must be wise. We must be so wise in this life when we fall victim to this every single day. we got to wake up from this though. Job chapter 1 says this about this truth that we're learning right here. 
And Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. New Testament equivalent, 1 Timothy 6, says this, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Be wise, be wise, be wise. The body this man loved so much was now buried in the ground, and all the things that he had, all these things you prepared, whose will they be? Not yours, not yours. Always remember, loved ones, the moment the rich man dies is the moment his riches mean nothing. The moment he dies, the purple clothes, the fine linen, the sumptuous feasts, they mean nothing. And one of the things that I'm becoming convinced of within this series, and particularly these stories of stewardship that we are going through, I'm becoming convinced as pastor of this church that Jesus has a word for us. I'm becoming convinced that he is bringing urgency to the table regarding his resources through our lives. Imagine what would happen as Jesus continues to call out to us. He continues to call out to you as an individual, as a man, and as a woman. And he calls you right now. Do you believe what I'm saying? Do you believe the reality of what this life is about? Do you believe that the riches of this earth in the end hold no value? Do you believe and will you take up by faith the pursuit of choosing to live more and more for the treasure of Christ and less and less for the treasures of this world. Because just imagine, just imagine, if each life one by one started to live as Christ as their true treasure in this church. Imagine if each life one by one actually took up Jesus on his truth and his challenge to say, I'm not going to keep pursuing the things that lead to death. I'm going to pursue the things that lead to life. Imagine if each life one by one went on this path. Imagine the impact. Imagine the way that we'd be changed. Imagine the way that people would pray. Imagine the way that people would sing. Imagine the way that people would hunger for God's word. Imagine the way that people would seek to share their faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine the revival that would break out if one by one people in this church actually started to believe the things that Jesus was saying and actually began to live for him as opposed to self. Just imagine what would happen if we started to take Jesus at his word. Imagine. And I'm becoming more and more convinced he is, he is, he is calling us like individually and corporately to say, I believe you, Lord. For the first time in my life, I believe that your ways will result in the greatest joy I can ever imagine, including including the things of this earth, including the material things that are around me. And when you take up the word of Jesus here and understand what he's saying, you understand this, who I am in life will determine who I am in death. Who I am in life will determine who I am in death. But the rich man, he did not live for Christ, and therefore he woke up to a horrible death. Notice in verse 23, it says, he was buried, and then the next words, this is so telling, he died, he was buried, and the next words are, and in Hades, being in torment. Now that's a sentence of perspective. I mean, look at it there for a second. I mean, that's how life goes. That's how life goes. I live for self, I live for luxury, I live for riches, I die, I'm buried in hell and tormented. That's not funny. But it's true and real. How many people? I live for self. I live in luxury. I die. I'm buried in Hades, in hell, in torment. That's how quickly it happens. The Bible's telling us right now that that, that is the reality of way too many people. 
because they've never stopped long enough to actually ask, what is this life really about? And the moment they die, it's too late. It's too late. You see the word Hades in the text? Hades refers to the place of the dead. Some believe it's a gathering place for unbelievers as they await the final resurrection. Now we know without a doubt this can't be for believers because Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So although Hades is not technically the word for hell as found in elsewhere in Scripture, particularly the book of Revelation, what do we know about Hades from this text here today? We know this, number one, it was a place of torment, verse 23. We know it was a place of fire or flame, verse 24. Thirdly, we find out this place called Hades, it was a place of no return. That's found in verse 26. So therefore, I have to believe and feel very strongly about this. This is a contrast that Jesus is painting between heaven and between hell. Now notice this too, loved ones. Notice that as the rich man dies and the Lazarus dies, notice how death is the great leveler. Death is the great leveler in life. One commentator said this, massive eternal equity was underway. Please notice this too. Notice that those who win in this life will lose in death. You want to win in this life and the things of the world and gathering stuff? Go ahead. You're going to lose in death. Who I am in life will determine who I am in death. This is why Jesus says, Jesus says whoever finds his life will lose it. You find your life here on this earth, you will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, and Mark it says, he will find it. Find your life here, lose it. Lose your life for Jesus Christ. And then you will truly find your life. Notice this rich man. Notice that even in death, notice the rich man is still seeking to have Lazarus serve him. Do you see that there? Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. Talking about. Send Lazarus. You know what this tells us right here? Even in the midst of torment, his heart is still so hard. Hey, that Lazarus guy, get him to serve me and get him to go help me out here, but I did nothing for him when I was alive. That's how wicked and hard the hearts are for unbelievers, even in the place of torment and even recognizing where they are. And the Bible says that elsewhere as well, they will continue to disbelieve and curse God. We also learn here from this rich man's heart. He, it's so revealing, he's, Hey, get Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. It's so revealing that the man that the rich man would not help in his life at all is now begging Lazarus to dip water on his finger to cool off his tongue. You know what this means? It means the rich man walked by his gate day after day. He knew who Lazarus was. He knew his needs, and he even knew his name. But he didn't. He didn't do anything to help him because he lived for self and he loved this world and he cared not for other people. He did not love God, therefore he did not love others. And yet now he wants Lazarus to help him, so to speak. But again, it's too late. 
But notice here, notice what Jesus, no, this, this is quite powerful and quite something. Such will be the great reversal seen in eternity. We, we get so caught up in this world, we get so caught up in thinking who's in first and who's the best and who's the most famous and who's got the most money and who lives in the biggest house and we spend all this time exalting all these individuals. The moment they die, everything changes, everything flips, the table completely turns and all of a sudden those who are propped up so high in life terrifying where they're going to be and the people we don't even know about the people who are the scum of the earth but have faith in God they will be the ones exalted to the side of Abraham loved ones the call is out you must live with wisdom I must live with wisdom you must be in a place where you understand and you see clearly we must be in this spot where we live for what matters we live for what counts and we live with love you see what he's saying you see what he's saying but I'm telling you I'm telling you in our culture in this part of this world and even within the church we're not good at this we get blinded so fast Within our lives, we really don't think this way. you got to discipline yourself to renew your mind each day, like every day. What matters? What's value? What counts? What's the purpose? What's life really about? Where am I really going? What should I do with God's resources? How should I steward my life? What should I be praying about? Does it really matter if I'm up top or down low? Who, I mean, all the questions you got to say to yourself all the time, every day as we live, because Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Text after text after text after text. And this one here right now. Death will be the great leveler. And some of the greatest reversals we can ever imagine will be seen in eternity. Love and stop and think. Stop and think. You gotta say to yourself, you gotta say to yourself, there's more to life than this. There's more to life than this. There's more to life than this. There's more to life than what we see right now. Eternity's coming. So we see two lives. We see two deaths. And now we see in detail Two totally different eternities. Two eternities. Now what follows in our text here is one of the most serious passages in Scripture simply because it describes hell. I personally believe this is taking place within this story. And what we see and what we take away from this are powerful, serious principles. Listen on the subject of hell. Now, hell is not a fun thing to talk about. I take no joy in explaining anything of what's to follow right here. This is not popular in our day. The reason the doctrine of hell is so unpopular in our day is because ultimately it doesn't stroke our self-esteem and because hell doesn't ultimately fit into God being made into our image. And so we discard it and we put it aside or we twist it or we make it say something else because we don't like it so then we refuse to see what's so clear within Scripture itself. But what we understand it comes to the teaching on hell, particularly it was important to Jesus. And if it's important to Jesus, then it's important to us. And the reality is, and this is what you and I have to believe, to explain, to explain the doctrine of hell is to actually love a failure to do this. Now, you can do it in such a way that isn't loving. You can do it in a way that's spiteful. You can do it in a way you're trying to, you're trying to judge people with it. You can do the fire and brimstone thing and just send people running away. But you can do it in a way that says, I love you enough to tell you the truth. 
I've never seen a friend not warn another friend of danger that was obvious that was coming. I've never seen a friend just let a person walk off a cliff when they actually love them. I've always seen every single time a person taking a friend and pulling them back. I've never seen a parent allow a child just to walk in the middle of busy traffic knowing they're going to get killed. Every single time, it's pulling back because they love them. I've never seen true love just let someone go and die because they could care less. And that's what it comes down to within this text right here. Charles Spurgeon said this about pastors and preaching in hell. He said, there are some ministers who never mention anything about hell. I heard of a minister who once said to the congregation, if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be sent to that place which is not polite to mention. He said he ought to have been allowed to preach again. And I'm sure if he did, he could then choose to use just plain words. He explains, he says, now, if I saw that house on fire over there, do you think I would stand and say, I believe the operation of combustion is proceeding yonder? He said, no, I would call out, fire, fire, and then everybody would know what I meant. And that's what Jesus does here. And that's what I have to do here, too. So what do we learn, specifically about hell from this text? I'll put four things on the screen for you here as it relates to hell. And here's the first one. We learn here that hell is conscious, conscious punishment. Some people believe that hell is where unbelievers will cease to exist. They believe that they will be annihilated. But looking at this text here, this is strong evidence to the contrary. If you notice in verses 24 and 25, you will notice here that the rich man is, admits the flame. He's in the middle of the flame and he's speaking. He's seeing. He's talking. He's not annihilated. He's in torment. He's in tremendous anguish. He sees. He speaks. He even prays. He says, Father Abraham, have, have, have mercy on me. Now one preacher said this, and this is not funny. Not meant to be funny, so please don't laugh. He said this. He says, the most fervent prayer meeting are the prayers that are going on in hell. Father, have mercy on me. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. I mean, the rich man lives all his life. I mean, be awake, be awake right now. Be awake right now. And these are the warnings of love of Jesus Christ upon us. He lived his whole life for his purple clothes, his fine linen, his big meals. And the moment he dies in Hades and torment, and all of a sudden the prayers start. Too late, buddy. You neglected. You neglected the things of God. You neglected the love of God and the love of others. And now you are forced to live with that which you lived for. Who I am in life will determine who I am in death. And the Bible's telling us here that hell will be a place of conscious, eternal punishment. Here's the second thing we learn is hell is horrible anguish. The rich man says at the end of verse 24, I am in anguish. And in verse 25 he says, but Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Notice the flame is his source of anguish. Hell is a place of unquenchable fire. How that all works, I do not know. I don't want to know. Oh, loved ones, see and hear the lesson of verse 25. If you live for the earth, your reward is the earth. See that? If this is what you make life about, that's what you get when you die. Who I am in life will determine who I am in death. If you live without God on earth, you will live without God in eternity. 
Again, this is where death is the great, great leveler. Oh, how the exalted will be humbled, and oh, how the humbled will be exalted. It's not fun, but it's important. It's serious, and it's real. And many will scoff, and many will brush it off, but maybe there's some who will hear this and believe this is true, that Jesus in love speaks of that which will actually take place. Conscious punishment. Horrible anguish. Thirdly, we learn here that hell is final. It's final. The eternal conversation continues in verse 26. And the news is not good for the rich man. Abraham answers him and says, Besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to and none may cross from there to us. There's a chasm between heaven and hell which is impassable. There's no purgatory where you sit down and maybe try to rethink the life that you lived. There are no second chances after death. None, none. It horrifies me to think of the, all the people who lived a, a lifetime of temporal pleasure and now spend an eternity in regret. Think about that. Think, 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 think. Men, think. Men, men here, think. Women, think. Think. Stop long enough. What am I living for? Are you, are you wise enough to see the things you lust after? The things you want so badly? They have no value. They have no value. Think. How much more does Jesus have to say? Abraham's like Lazarus. You're the good things of life. Or, rich man, you good things in life. Lazarus had all the bad things, but now look what happened. Lazarus is comforted and you're in torment. You had your pick and you chose. But I want out now. There is no out now. I'll have one life. And as soon as death comes, then comes judgment, Hebrews says. We have one life. Once we die, listen, it's over. It's over. But here's the beauty. If you can hear this message right now, if you can hear this message, you can hear my voice right now, then it's not over for you. It's not over yet. There's still time. And there's amazing, beautiful, awesome grace offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why you are hearing this message. Because the Lord loves you so much that he doesn't want you to get to the point where the moment you die, then there are no more chances. And don't you see? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who died for our sins, that we might live forever and be forgiven and washed by his blood. Listen, there are two things that sin will be dealt with in life, in all of eternity. Either the blood of Christ takes care of our sin or the flames of hell deal with sin, ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. Those are the two people. Those are the two options. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm in torment and anguish in the flames of hell. The blood of Jesus Christ deals with sins instantly. The flames of hell go on forever and ever and ever. Hell is final. But again, you're here right now. You can hear this. There's still time. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Run to Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Hell is conscious punishment. Hell is horrible anguish. Hell is final. But please hear this. Hell is avoidable. 
Richmond now turns in his hopelessness towards the future hopelessness of his five brothers. He's kind of give up on himself. Please go tell my brothers. You know, some people mock hell by saying very foolish things like this. Well, if I go to hell, I won't be alone. I'll be with my buddies. We'll have a good time and start partying. And no, 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 no such things will be said in hell. There's no happiness in hell. Hell is some form of utter loneliness and utter darkness and utter separation of eternal suffering apart from God. The rich man wants his brothers to be warned, though. Notice he's still asking Lazarus to do it. Send Lazarus, tell my brothers, dude, like, but Abraham clearly says, they have what they need to repent and be saved. You see that within our text there? He says, but Abraham said in verse 28, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But see, but he said, no, 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 they won't believe that. They need something else. If Lazarus is raised from the dead and they go see him, then they'll believe. But what's so interesting about this story here is that there was another Lazarus who was raised from the dead. And they wanted to kill him as a result of being raised from the dead. They didn't believe, at least a bunch of them didn't believe, and they actually wanted to kill him because he was bringing more credibility to the ministry of Jesus who opposed them. Just how wicked the human heart can be. A man's raised from the dead with all the evidence ever, but their hearts are so hard, they turn in that hatred and want to kill him again to oppose the ministry of Jesus Christ. Oh, I pray that would not happen here today. I pray there's no one here with such a hard heart that in the midst of understanding the reality of eternity and you're one of one of two people, you could still look in the face of Jesus Christ and spit on him and hit him and ultimately want to kill him. Please, Lord, no. Please, Lord, no. The other Lazarus was raised from the dead. So Abraham gives the answer. It's like, it doesn't matter if they saw someone raised from the dead, they still won't believe. He says, what they need is the gospel. They need the word of God. They need Moses and the prophets. It's the word. It's the word that brings faith. I want you to see here, because part of the theme of this parable is who we are in life, again, who we are in death. If we love God, we love others. The temptation is to say, well, if I'm good to people, like if I took care of Lazarus at the gate and I fed him and did some stuff, then God would say I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. That's not what this is saying at all. This isn't about good works. We have the rest of Scripture to help us, guide us through this. I love what Abraham says at the end. Of course, by no accident, what they need is the word of God because the word of God tells them that apart from Christ, they can do nothing. The word of God tells them that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word of God tells them that one came, Jesus Christ, as the savior of the world. And if you turn from sin and then place your faith in Jesus Christ as the only source of forgiveness for your sins, then you will be saved and you will have eternal life and you will then know the grace that has saved you by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And this is why the word of God says then, for God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. This is why the word of God says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is why Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, listen, though he die, yet shall he live. You see, Jesus Christ has raised from the dead. He has been raised from the dead and he's the one now testifying and that has happened with 2,000 years to look back upon that and to see him risen, Savior, Lord, God. This is the one our faith and hope is put in. This is the one who raises us to eternal life in him. You want raised from the dead? As the rich man said, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So I speak to two people today. 
to two people today from this fascinating passage. I speak to those without Christ today. Those without a relationship in Jesus Christ today. Listen, today you are warned. You are warned of the reality of what is to come in love. In love. If Jesus didn't love you, he wouldn't tell you. And if I didn't love you, I wouldn't preach this. But he does love you, and I love you, and we love you. And you need to know the truth, because it's the truth that sets you free. And the truth is, there are two types of people in this world. There are people who love Christ and people who reject Christ. There are people who are going to heaven, and there are people who are going to hell. And you are here today, not by accident, but you hear this message, that you would run to the Lord, that you would turn from sin, that you would see him, embrace him, let him love you, that you might become a child of God, filled with grace, never to die again. So regardless of how poor you become in this life, you are guaranteed the riches of Jesus Christ forever and ever. And I wonder, I wonder, I have such a heart at times for young men too, because I was one of them. And I sat in church all these years and I was so filled with self. Any young men here right now that you, for the first time, your heart is being softened to the gospel. And for the first time with all the chaos of the music you're listening to and the friends you hang out with and the, and the barrage of lies from Satan all through this world and the stuff you watch and the stuff you read and the inner, just all the crap that goes on all the time. And you can just for a moment just get, like, get all of that and just see a little bit of light for the first time in your life. And to say, what is my life about? Young man, young woman, who cares? Anyone. That the love of God might be reaching into your heart to pull you close towards him. That you may not die. Listen, listen. That you may not die. That you might live. I speak to the person without Christ today. And I speak to the, the lot of us who do have Christ today. What do you do with a text like this? You love the Lord, that's what you do. You sing louder, that's what you do. You praise God with greater volume, that's what you do. You hunger for the things that matter. You look to be a man or woman who loves, who loves the lost. You look to be a man or woman who cares for the poor. Why? Not so you are in favor with God, because you respond to God's favor to you. You respond with tremendous gratitude. You say, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. Christ is my everything. Christ alone and Christ alone. My hope is found. And you stop long enough to say, God, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for rescuing me from hell itself. That I know who I am. And I know what I live for. The bottom line for today's text is who I am in life will determine who I am in death. And I pray we are full of life in Jesus Christ. And we will be full of life for all of eternity because of what he's done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me just pray for us officially. Who we are in life, Lord, is who we are in death. That was proven by Lazarus. That was proven by the rich man. Oh, God, wake us up. Oh, God, I pray. Oh, God, I pray for your glory. Oh God, I pray by your Holy Spirit. Oh God, I pray in your gospel. Oh Lord, help us to see and to live. 
Help us, Lord, to be so sober. I, I just pray again, you have, been, you have been speaking to us so consistently, Lord, these last several weeks and these themes, they keep coming up. They just keep coming up and I, and I cannot ignore them. It has to be for such a purpose that you want to set us free of this world and the power, Lord, dare, Lord, dare we say the revival that can take place as people lay down their idols. Smash the things that hold them back. Oh God, how awesome that would be, how beautiful it would be, Lord. The things that we whine and care and fight over, they don't matter anymore. They don't matter anymore. Oh God, bring freedom to your church. Bring freedom to your sons and daughters, Lord. Set us free, set us free, set us free. That we would give, we would love, we would be so able to be so generous, God, because we love you and love others, Lord. And then we love the gospel and then we love being a blessing and being less of us and more of you, God, could it be, could it be, could it be that we could delight in losing ourselves in order to find Christ? Could it be, O oh Lord, that we would actually rejoice in becoming less as Jesus Christ is increasing in our lives? Could it be, God, could it be that we're as generous as ever, loving as ever, so gospel-centered as ever, because all we see is you? Oh God, give us the wisdom and the ability. Give us the love by your grace, by your grace, by your grace. Awesome. How awesome this would be, Lord, as you work in this time in this church. In the name of Jesus. Amen, church. Amen.